Welcome to the Financial Law Forum, a monthly podcast series focused on the intersection of financial services, the law, equal access to capital, and financial opportunities. I'm Tracy Davis, and with me is my partner at Seifarth Shaw, Tanya Esposito. We created this series for financial service professionals, both lawyers and non-lawyers, in the private, nonprofit, or government sectors who are interested and vested in the industry's technological transformation and pathways to becoming more inclusive of women and persons of color. We are thrilled today to have with us Elisa Luque, a trailblazer and true change agent. She's currently the executive vice president and head of wealth management at Guarantee Bank and Trust. In commemoration of Women's History Month, Elisa, as well as my partner and I, will explore the challenges and accomplishments that women have struggled to overcome and face as they make their way to the top. We'll discuss both notable contributions by women in the financial services industry, as well as the challenges that still remain ahead. We're going to dig deeper into Elisa's 35 years of experience in a moment, but first a little bit about my background. I'm a business lawyer, litigator, and trusted legal advisor to financial institutions as well as non-financial institutions on a wide range of regulatory, compliance, and class action defense experience in the consumer financing space. I've handled fintech matters along with the panoply of consumer financing statute defense, as well as representing and advising clients on privacy, as well as cybersecurity issues. Before I turn the conversation over to Tanya for her to give us a little bit about her background, just a note, disclaimer here, that the opinions and statements made here today are our own, They are not the opinions or statements of either Cypher Shaw or Guarantee Bank and Trust or any of our clients. To the extent that you're looking for legal advice, our comments should not be taken as such. You should give us a call. If you have any legal questions, we'd be more than happy to assist you in that way. Tanya, do you want to give us a brief description of what you do down in our DC office? Yes, absolutely. Thanks, Tracy. And we're so pleased to have you, Elisa. Thanks for joining us today. I am a partner in Cypher Shard Washington, D.C. office. I am co-lead of our uh, consumer financial services team. And a majority of my practice involves representing financial institutions in a pretty wide variety of um, litigation, government investigations, and certain compliance matters as well. And so I've, you know, got a, a, a pretty broad practice dealing with lots of um, consumer related issues, many very similar to those that Tracy just spoke to in, you know, various lines of business. So mortgage, credit card, you know, student loans, auto loans, all of those types of issues. In addition to dealing with or representing clients before the Federal Trade Commission 
and the FDA and state's attorneys general on consumer related litigation investigations as well. Um, and I'm also the Washington DC's uh, lead of our diversity and inclusion initiative, which I'm very passionate about and, and spend a good portion of my day dedicated to. So I'm thrilled to be here today. I'm thrilled to have this conversation and I'm very much looking forward to it. So thank you very much for being here. Excellent. Excellent. So this is our second podcast. So we're thrilled to have you, Elise. We did our first one on um, Black History Month and we had a great guest speaker there and we're just happy to be able to provide this platform to talk about some of those issues that you've shared with us that you feel passionate about. And, and given your experience and expertise in the industry, um, Elise is an executive vice president, as I said, uh, at the Guaranteed Bank and Trust. She's the head of their trust and wealth management group since 2017. Uh, she has, again, over 35 years worth of experience in wealth, the wealth management industry. Prior to moving to Dallas, um, she spent 25 years at the Bank of New York Mellon in Miami, Florida. Um, Elisa joined Co-America Bank in Dallas in 2014 um, as a vice president responsible for their Alliance Trust, a Texas subsidiary. Uh, she uh, over she has oversight in, in with in not only their Houston but also also their Dallas offices. Um, she graduated from the University of Miami um, with a bachelor's in business administration, minor in marketing. Um, she's also a graduate of FBA Trust and Wealth Management Graduate Trust School Program. Um, extraordinarily, she's doing work through on top of everything else the Financial Women in Texas, uh, as well as the Dallas Estate Planning Council. Um, she's a board member of the Boys and Girls Club of Collin County. Um, she's a member of Plano Chamber of Commerce and an advocate and volunteer for the Susan B. Coleman Foundation. Uh, and that's a mouthful. Um, but uh, we're here to welcome her and Elise, thank you, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. So, um, Women's History Month, who was your inspiration throughout your years of building such a stellar career? Um, it has to be a colleague at Bank of New York. Um, uh, she was extremely, extremely difficult to work with but taught me wonderful things. Discipline, um, what not to do for future. <laughs> um, it, she was extremely, um, she was very good at what she did. Um, so as a mentor, she was good. She taught me, uh, I'm proud to say, what I know of wealth management. Um, but she was also very a difficult boss. So as a woman, uh, you would have thought that she would be would have been a little bit more um, understanding or easier to work with as a young myself being a young mom at the time. 
but um, it wasn't the case. Um, and it's something that I always made it a point uh, for myself to want to be able in the future to mentor and open doors for uh, women uh, to succeed. I feel that um, it's something that we need to be able to help each other, um, uh, you know, to advance. Uh, if we don't uplift each other, nobody else will. Um, and I think that we need to open doors for other women. Ironically, uh, we became very good friends after I left Bank of New York, um, believe it or not, uh, because I did respect uh, what she had to teach. I just didn't respect her as a boss, as far as her methods. But um, as a woman, she was uh, outside of work. She, she was uh, very nice. It's just a matter, I think she was very competitive and I think we women as competitors think that, uh, I don't know what it is. <laughs> I, I, instead of uh, being um, assertive and, and I think that we can, uh, we don't need to take away from someone else's um, successes. Um, we kind of, uh, either put down others or kind of try to minimize. And I think that's part of what was going on over there at that time. So what, tell us a little bit about how you came to become the executive director of wealth management of a large institution in Texas. Um, well, a lot of things happened. Um, I obviously, um, after 25 years with Bank of New York, um, I left. Um, the reason why I left is because I had breast cancer. So um, I, after a certain situation, I needed to have a leave for three years. Actually, I, I had some issues. Um, after several surgeries and reconstruction, I needed a break. And um, then my husband and I decided we were gonna move to Texas. And when we moved to Texas, we located with my husband, uh, my two sons and my mother. Um, I came to work for Comerica Bank. And at that time, it took me those three years that I was uh, without working. Obviously, I came to realize that I really identified myself as who, what I did with Bank of New York, obviously, um, as a trust officer. And so it took a while for me to find myself. And when I went to work for Comerica Bank, doing the same thing I was doing, obviously, with Bank of New York, um, at that point, I realized how much I love what I did and how good I was at what I did. And um, and I guess the experience that I had with the breast cancer, which I would, believe it or not, I would not change for anything in the world because it made who I am today, the person that I am. And it made my marriage a lot stronger. Um, it kind of 
it kind of it changed my whole perspective. And um, at that point, I uh, got promoted to run. I was first uh, hired to just do trust officer of the Dallas location. And they got promoted to run the Houston location as well. And then at that point, um, I really wasn't looking for a job, but uh, someone had referred me to guarantee to uh, recruited to come and interview for this position at Guarantee Bank and Trust. I really wasn't interested. Um, as you can see with Bank of New York, I don't like change. I like to stay put and you know <laughs> don't move. Um, but they called me again. And I think after the third call, I said, Elisa, you, you have to listen and open, you know, you never know. So I came and what I had, you know, what they had to say was very good. And um, the opportunity was something I didn't want to pass. It was something, an opportunity to run a department the way I really wanted to. Um, it was talk, it, it was for the first time feeling that I had a voice. Um, I could run the department the way I thought wealth management, going back to the roots of what wealth management was all about. And um, so I decided to make that change. And here I am. Uh, it's been a great experience. That's fascinating because it sounds like your personal experience kind of gave you a window to let the light into the other opportunities that were... Right on their way to being presented to you. So yeah. interesting personal take on yeah. how what happens in your personal life is not necessarily separate and apart from what happens in your professional exactly. life. Yeah. But, uh, um, and so uh, any obstacles other than, um, you know, by being a woman in a fairly male dominated profession that you yes. found you encountered yeah, along had, your trajectory? Yes, I had many obstacles. Um, the first one biggest, my accent, which obviously I can try to work on, but as much as I want to, it is what it is. Um, at the beginning was my uh, youth looking young and um, that made it hard and being a woman, Hispanic, there were a lot of check marks there. Um, so that made it for me uh, a reason to work harder, to be better at what I did. Uh, so that kind of pushed me to, you know, be the best I can be at my job. And, um, and that's what I did. And also I believe in my reputation. So that's the only thing I own um, and I made it a point to work hard and, and, and build that, and, and that's what I did. That's, that's fascinating as well, Elisa, and I think that, you know, we oftentimes look at the financial services industry and see numbers that don't um, truly suggest that a lot of movement has been made in terms of women um, and, and, you know, where they should be and what we would like to see. Although I have, you know, of late, as we all have seen some progress, um, I think there's still a lot of work to do. But my question for you is, in your, from your perspective, what are, what are the sort of accomplishments or what progress have you seen, you know, sort of 
over the last four years as opposed to the last decade? And, and how do you identify that? I think women have come a long way. I think we are more um, definitely as an entrepreneurs, we own more businesses. Um, I think that uh, the opportunity for us is out there uh, more. I, I, I think obviously um, there are more college graduates or you know uh, more educated women uh, out there. But I still think there's uh, more to do. I mean, uh, there still is uh, a lag in salary uh, between women and men that we need to work on, um, no matter what position they're in. Sure. There's a change, there's a disparity. Yes, absolutely. And and how do you think, you know, this sort of younger generation of women either going through, you know, college or coming out of college, um, how, how should they be approaching financial services or, or a career, I should say, in the financial services industry in a way that would you know, give them sort of an equal voice or an equal um, an equal position within an organization, either at an entry level position or you know later on in their career. What what types of steps do you think a younger person could take? I think not to be afraid to start from the bottom up. Um, I think I don't want to generalize, but I think one of the problems we're seeing at that doesn't have to say be only financial industry is the millennium uh, attitude of uh, the one things quick and easy. And by saying that, um, they don't realize that sometimes we have to work hard and, and, and be a little bit patient sure. um, to get to a certain position. Um, and I have found that sometimes they come out of college and expect to be, let's say a, a trust officer from the onset when they don't know the whole, you know, what it takes. Sure. what it entails so um i feel that if they would be a little bit more patient and come in and try to what i call pay the dues um it, it would be more beneficial for them because they will know all the steps and then at the same time it doesn't mean that they won't get there but they would be more prepared actually sure. uh, uh, for the position but um, they, they have to be willing to, to do that. Um, and not everybody is. And I think that's the frustrating part that many of them just come out and they expect to have that title or that, you know, they, they get hung up on that rather than just, you know, learning the role or understanding what it entails on the position. Yeah, absolutely. That, that makes perfect sense. And I agree with that. Um, you know, flipping it on its head, you know, we, we have seen progress, although I think we all agree not enough. Um, but we've also seen tremendous loss, particularly, you know, in the last year and in dealing with the pandemic. Um, and, you know, it seems to have affected women more deeply and more meaningfully across the board. Um, but just curious as to your thoughts as to how specifically women in financial services have been affected by all of the sort of, you know, related 
be they familiar or otherwise circumstances surrounding the pandemic? I think more women have had to either retire or um, stop working uh, to take care of their children uh, by one because of um, not going home uh, for education purposes because they're being uh, not having aftercare or you know um, schooling. Um, the fact that they're wearing so many hats, uh, it has made it very difficult for women. Um, the other thing is uh, the retirement. I, I have found that there are a lot of women that have decided to retire, even if it's a little bit younger, earlier on than normal. Um, and I don't know if it's because of they find it prioritizing um, as far as they may have some savings or situation, but they think that they can retire and they prefer to to make their life a little bit easier to just stay home uh, for the family's sake. Um, some I've seen that have sold their businesses if they've had uh, offers, they've just taken it to be able to facilitate their home environment or situation. Um, which makes it sad, but it's like, the, the woman usually is the one that sacrifices. Sure. Most of the cases. I think that's what I've heard from most of my uh, female professional colleagues and friends and contacts. And, you know, I just wonder what the industry as a whole can do going forward to sort of replace those women and or, you know, recruit others. And, and it's just a, sort of a strange mix of emotions and I think mix of um, circumstances because in many ways the ability to sort of you know work from home affords you a level of flexibility and a level of um, you know cutting out a commute for example at least for me has allowed me to be uh, physically present and you know ready to go an hour earlier in the morning and an hour later in the afternoon. And that really makes a huge difference. Um, and so in, in that regard, for me, it's actually been quite helpful. Um, you know, but the flip side of that, as you mentioned, is that I do have two school-aged children, one of whom has been, you know, learning virtually up until this week. She just went back to school today. And, and there's been competing interests for my time. And I've tried really, really hard to sort of set boundaries, but I've also had to sort of turn off that um, uh, that part of my brain that you know is is the mom guilt function that says, "Hey, I have a seven-year-old here who, you know, has 15 questions, and I have to ask, I have to answer all these questions, or I'm not being a good mother." And so, you know, I just think that um, it's a challenge because there's sort of competing interests at play. And, um, you know, I just wonder how the financial services industry will market itself going forward to women who want to be professionals in this field and also, you know, intend to be parents or may already be parents. Well, we're going to have to be, and I can tell you as for my, for us here, uh, a guarantee, uh, we look at it as in order for us to be competitive with other banks and be able to bring in uh, employees, uh, we have to be flexible and offer uh, that for other parents and mothers. 
Um, what I find though in the flip side, that guilt that you say, for example, um, I have found from uh, colleagues that I talk to that they also have that anxiety of being perceived as not working all the time or not being, um, uh, being perceived as not being professionals or which is very unfair because sometimes they may be working even more hours than the person that's here in the office or more dedicated. So it, it's something that we really need to work on. And again, that's where uh, either the supervisors that are women or even men, um, I'm here, the per I'm part of the personnel um, committee and which is part of the HR. And it's something that's very important to us to communicate and we discuss. And I want, I hope that other banks and are doing the same thing, but we communicate that and we're in constant discussion about that, that we have to keep that in mind. Uh, there was one meeting, Zoom meeting, uh, just stupid, but we had a Zoom meeting once and there was a discussion and one of the executives mentioned that in one meeting there was uh, one individual had a, a child you know, interrupting. And it wasn't a client, it was an internal meeting. And I had a problem with that for them to make it an issue. Because I was like, if we're not being supportive to our employees in this time, um, that's a problem. And they felt this little after it was brought up and we kind of like had a, a discussion and, you know, I said, we have to set up parameters and discuss, okay, if you're having a Zoom meeting with a client, that's something else. But if you were having a meeting, which we were having a hundred meetings internally with our different departments, gotta be a little bit more flexible and understandable that even a dog is gonna be barking because if, I, if I'm doing it from my house, I have two dogs. Believe me, one of them is gonna be barking so it, it's you, you gotta that's where you gotta be flexible um and if you watch tv you can hear it in the news you can hear a phone ring you can it's now this is life we're living this is our world that we live in so in your case or the, we women in that situation have to speak up and protect and defend our colleagues that's what needs to happen to make sure that we don't allow that discrimination in my opinion because that was discussed by another man that not allow that to happen so it's it's part of it exists it is human nature from the one that doesn't have any children or any dogs or any you know single or whatever to to bring it to the attention of the others that have a life so so i think it's a, this uh discussion of how these micro um micro biases um impact our perception of women in the workplace uh dovetails very nicely into my question about 
the focus now on pay inequality and the uh, restricted access to capital, particularly uh, for the women and diverse communities, with the focus now being on how to eradicate some of these barriers, I think your point about us as women speaking up, um, making certain that we uh, influence reality um, by making these micro biases um, known and uh, recognize them. Uh, do you think that with more women in the workplace that we're seeing a shift along those lines that are going to help lend itself to greater access to capital for women entrepreneurs, that lends itself to greater pay equity, that lends itself to um, uh, women being um, afforded more opportunities for leadership roles and advancement in the financial services industry. Are we seeing any more of that? Because doesn't all of that lend itself to increasing and building wealth yeah. for them to manage? Yes. And utilize think, your services? Yes, I think that's gonna definitely all of the above. Everything you mentioned, I think it's gonna help. Um, I think, uh, I think we're not there. I think it's gonna take time. I think we need to definitely uh, continue to ask for it, believe that we deserve it. Um, I can tell you that I would have never in my life before the sea ever asked for salary increase or think that I deserved or wanted. Today, if I feel that I'm not being paid what I'm worth, I will ask because I feel that I, there's no reason why not. But not everybody feels the same way. And I think that women need to, to get that strength and that, you know, um, that voice. They need to be told, you have a voice, don't be afraid of using it and have that support. And have other women kind of uh, support them as well. I feel like here, um, I have several colleagues that I know feel comfortable coming to me and for me to reinforce when they're in doubt, me telling them, no, you have a right to fight for what you believe and, and do it and, and you know, because sometimes we just need that little push, that little, you know, do, go for it. Because the truth is, why not? You know, why and, not? And you want to talk to us about the recognition of women's recognition of their own value. Um, I know that when we uh, started our discussion offline earlier today, you mentioned that um, the emotional intelligence that women bring to the financial uh, wealth management sphere 
and how that added perspective is also added monetary value. Well, yes, the fact that there are women, um, women usually are the ones that, uh, and clients, women are usually the ones that make the decision um, in, in, a, in, a fam, in a couple when you have clients, um, uh, when they come together. And, and the financial advisors are known that the women financial advisors usually do a better job than the male. Um, and the reason for it is because women, while they're servicing their clients, educate and the client. And also, um, as they do their they service, they service, um, they're more conservative in their investments. They're not as risk takers. So they do better usually uh, than male. Um, and that's one of the reasons why they do uh, better. Um, but yet, there are only 15 to 20% of financial advisors are women out there. And usually, they don't make as much as men. Um, and this is something I've discussed with a good friend of mine that's a financial advisor with a, a big uh, firm. So it's, you know, it's the reality, um, which is sad, but mm -hmm. it's what it is. And do you wanna talk to us just so that um, it the point is driven home about the impact that this has on wealth building and wealth uh, accumulation, this gap? Well, yes, there's a big gap for women and single women, obviously, uh, and, and the male counterpart as far as, uh, on, for example, retirement. Well, retirement is built if, if let's say my 401k plan, um, my retirement is, uh, my employer uh, matches 5% of my base. Perfect example, if my base is a lot smaller than my counterpart from another department that's a male, there, I'm, that's my future being, you know, depreciated just because my base salary is less. So if I'm gonna argue for a higher pay, they can tell me, oh no, I'll give you a bonus. I don't want a bonus. I want the base salary because that's gonna affect every other thing. A commission that's based on my base salary. <laughs> you know, there's so many other things. And it's where before I wasn't smart about that. Um, I got smarter when I learned how it could affect other things. And those are the little things that we women don't think about because when we're married, we feel that with our spouses together, you know, we don't give it that much importance. Um, but when we start thinking about our work and our, you know, worth and, you know, what we put on the table, our ambitions and all that, I think that's when it starts, you know, bothering you. Or for me, it started, I started thinking about it. I was like, wait a second. That. All right. And I, and I have to just jump in and say that I think it's most critical that, you know, our 
girls and, and younger women are taught to, um, you know, understand the importance of having this education as to their own finances, understand the importance of salary negotiation, right? And not being in the position of feeling as though um, counter-offering is impolite or somehow um, inappropriate for a young woman professional. Um, and I think that, you know, we see a lot of that um, in the professional world generally, but particularly as it relates to financial services, you know, I think that as a mom of two young girls, I'm trying very hard to get them to understand the importance of establishing their own financial footprints, right? And their own ability to save and their own sort of pathway to financial independence, whether they decide to be a married person at some point, an unmarried person, and that, you know, your success financially is not tied um, specifically to your ability, you know, to find a husband, a wife, or whatever your choice may be. And I think these are um, sort of not very foreign concepts for them because I think they sort of feel that way already. But um, I, I echo everything that you said. And, you know, I think that it's just tremendously important, particularly in a space like financial services for the younger women who are, you know, um, leading down this path to, to understand that, you know, having the, the strength to not find your voice, because I think we all know that we have a voice. It's really just a matter of using your voice, right? And then on the flip side, making sure that we have allies in the workplace that are not women who are willing to hear the, that voice, right? And, and willing to, um, to, to respect those viewpoints and to engage productively. Um, but in terms of access, you know, to the market generally, be it for lending or investing or what have you, you know, that sort of brings me to my next question, which has to do with fintech. And I'm just curious to know whether you think the various fintech products uh, that are out in the market now or, you know, coming into the market are filling the gap in this way or um, increasing the divide. As I think I think it is helping. It's definitely helping uh, the divide. It's definitely helping um, to filling that gap. Yeah, because you know my experience has been that <clears throat> prior to COVID, I think there were a number of folks who were hesitant to, and maybe this is generational, but hesitant to bank online with a mobile app to make payments. You know, by one of the many. Uh, apps that we all know and use probably very frequently now, or, you know, hesitant to transfer money or deposit checks. And, you know, I can just say that in my own family, my mother is not someone who, you know, would be in a position to sort of take a check and deposit it over her phone. And she just makes her weekly trip to the bank. And that's what she prefers to do. And I don't think I've stepped foot in a bank in a very, very, very long time. So, you know, I think people were sort of forced to shift to um, what was accessible to them throughout the pandemic, which in many cases, you know, were these mobile applications. And I think that that has allowed a lot of people or a lot of women specifically to try them out and maybe gain some confidence there. Um, 
So yeah, I, you know, I was just curious to know whether you had feedback from any of your clients or folks that you're working with to know whether they feel that that's, you know, made it, made the process easier for them or, or if there are challenges that remain there that we need to overcome. I think definitely has made it easier for them for sure. Yeah. Me too. I'm actually quite um, happy to do all of my banking from my phone, which, you know, we can talk about security and, and privacy issues on another day, but, um, <laughs> you know, it's been, uh, it's a time-saving effort. It's, um, you know, it's everything from depositing checks, withdrawing money, transferring, you know, and keeping an eye on my investments. And it's been incredibly helpful. Um, to me. And so I'm a big fan. Um, so I can't help but ask about some of the concerns um, and to take a peek uh, at your five-year plan um, institutionally uh, on how to enhance the services that you provide to the community via uh, technology. Um, I'd be interested to hear your perspective as an executive. I think there being, um, we're definitely doing more digital, digital, for example, digital marketing is being uh, looked at more um, and they're doing more online access and online uh, opening of accounts. And I see that although we have the 32 locations, like you said, I don't think people are going to the locations as much anymore. So um, one of the things that I think I mentioned offline, how um, our CEO is very uh, tech forward and invests a lot in technology. Um, we are definitely very invested in that because he truly believes that that's the future. So um, I'm pretty sure that um, he knows that that's the thing. We have to be ahead of the game um, there, uh, not only for the younger generation, that that's how they're going to be really looking at accounts and opening and doing investments. It's really with their phones and, you know, um, but, for us, um, that's really how, like an investment management account, one of our wealth management accounts. Right now, if you go into the retail side and to the app, you can look at our accounts as well on that app. Um, but you cannot open a trust account there. But obviously a trust account is a little bit more delicate because of OCC. There's more litigation. And, but I believe that somewhere we're gonna have to facilitate that. So we're gonna to have to figure it out. So I think that's something that we need to look into on how we, we're going to be able to um, do that. I think we're gonna be able to do the IMAs, investment management accounts, custody and IRAs. Maybe the trust is gonna be harder, but those three type of accounts, yes, I think can be opened eventually and online on the phone. Um, but um, so those things are going to be probably, you know, available in the near future. But um, or before, no, because of 
to know your customer, the litigation, I think it was so much harder. Uh, 10, 11 years ago, things were so hard, but it's like all of a sudden now we're on this other path. And like you said, privacy issues and all that, it's like with, it's, it's another problem, but it's somewhere we're gonna have to find a happy medium. And we gotta work through that. And um, uh, operationalizing uh, privacy concerns and addressing cyber issues. Is there anything you'd like to share with us as far as, you know, as an executive, um, what kinds of concerns, you know, actually keep you up at night and, um, you know, what you'd like to see as far as, um, even legislative, um, regulatory um, apparatus or framework put into place to help protect some of the unique issues that financial institutions face in that space. I'm not as concerned because I'm leaving that to our IT uh, executive responsible for that to be concerned about, to be honest with you. Um, so that I think he's very um, responsive. Um, and we haven't had any, you know, thing to be scared about per se. Um, but as a nation, since all these Zooms and all these things, uh, yeah, we, we, there's something about having to have things so electronic and, and that openly like this, um, you know, uh, for someone that doesn't have Facebook account and all that you're talking to an old fashioned, you know, I have very few socially active things. So, that's why I'm not that concerned because I'm not that out there. If understood. I were, then I would be. Understood, understood. Um, so you, you, I know Tanya asked about, you know, how you're viewing technology growing um, your business and altering your business. I'd like to just drill down particularly into the investment advisory space. Um, now that you've got, I think, greater accessibility to those who may not rely on an investment advisor, um, how are you seeing uh, this shift or um, greater accessibility to um, the stock market now that we've got the likes of, you know, Robinhood and Stash? Yeah, E-Trade and all that. I think that's going to be... Um... I'm not concerned personally, because I think um, those individuals that do that would not be looking at us as our clients. Um, I'm not looking at those types of individuals uh, for estate planning and, and, and clients. Um, but it does concern me for uh, colleagues that are financial advisors. Um, I think we were talking offline that there are certain platforms available that do financial planning and do other uh, things that can chip away their 
their business. Um, so that does concern me uh, because there's other platforms available for people that can do things on their own and don't need those services. Um, but for me personally, for us, what we do here guarantee, um, I think what we do, what we offer, offer is more of a boutique kind of approach, hands-on. Um, we're very, um, we don't look at clients as a number. It's a very old-fashioned wealth management approach. So I think that's something that is more unique, still not, uh, is not that uh, bigger institutions don't offer it anymore. So I think we still have, um, a niche for clients out there. And um, so I'm not that concerned. Interesting, interesting. Um, uh, you, both you and I, I think, uh, grew uh, into the financial services space well before technology was transforming it. So, um, have you found it challenging keeping up with the curve? Uh, the learning curve, the transformation curve, I mean, between, um, you know, what is uh, happening with, uh, with technology in the financial services space, along with the challenges that we're all facing um, due to uh, the economic constraints uh, resulting from uh, COVID-19, along with um, this shift in focus that I think will eventually create some pressure on um, equalizing access to capital and to wealth. Um, you know, what, what, are you, what are you feeling as far as what's likely to come down the road? Um, I think there's gonna be a shift, um, definitely. I'm not so sure there's going to be a shift. I don't know if it's going to be per se for women. I think there's going to be some help um, for blacks and minorities, but I don't think they're going to look at it specifically women, um, maybe Hispanics and, you know, um, ethnicity they may look at. Um, hopefully they will. Um, but I, I think that's going to be a harder factor for them to pinpoint as far as um, to kind of uh, provide that assistance or that, you know, uh, push. And are you seeing any particular programs out there that you think are um, really moving uh, access to capital in those directions? Not for wealth management. Um, maybe for the bank as a whole, yes. I know um, there are, you know, programs that we do definitely participate in to make sure um, that we assist and, and we do participate, but not in the wealth management uh, side. There's not nothing for us that we can, you know. And, and I know that you spoke about programs that you have personally been involved in, in trying to enhance 
the knowledge and level of financial sophistication that uh, exists um, among uh, youth, women, yes. diverse people? Yeah, I do feel that um, in my experience trying to fill positions uh, for in, in our team, in our uh, department, that um, there have been a gap of uh, the youth of, of understanding or having knowledge of stocks and bonds and finances and wealth management and trust. So I've joined and uh, I had been working closely with uh, one of a college here um, to um, and, and putting together an associate degree in concentrating wealth management and lending, but basically in financial um, uh, exposure uh, to teach them um, mostly uh, concentrating in financial um, aspects that have to do with wealth management and trust and all that. So that when they, they take that degree, they're more um, understanding of what we do here. So we have a little bit more candidates to choose from. And they, when they look at that course, if they're interested in the classes that they can take, um, they're more prepared because I feel they don't have, um, I have found that there's not that many courses available or were available for them in, in those um, stocks and bonds, uh, trust administration, fiduciary, uh, trust or anything like that so so i, I just want to ask a question that ties back a little bit to the previous question tracy posed and that is there's a huge focus in the industry now on environmental social and corporate governance and that's sort of um a big focus for investors and i think you know um the industry as a whole is just uh at a point where it's front and center um and i'm just curious whether you know your organization has identified specific esg initiatives or if you personally have thoughts on um you know any type of esg programming or um the path forward for esg investing from your perspective well yes i are are Definitely our institution is, um, has programs that uh, they use or participating in. Um, and I think this is what I was referring before that I know um, there are programs for minority that uh, may be available. I don't know how much women uh, will be um, taking advantage of it or uh, beneficial for women, but I know for minorities there will be. Um, for us here in wealth management, there's not really that many programs with the exception of, yes, when we do certain investments, um, clients can choose what they want to invest in or not, but that's really not what we're talking about with ESG. So, um, but for the retail side and for the bank itself, yes, there's, they're definitely uh, participating in that. Okay. Um, and so uh, recognizing that there is um, this whole arena of different 
considerations and factors that go into how people are moving their money. Um, and I think that's the uh, cleanest way to sort of describe what ESG is, is okay. about and is about and is what is its, its impact it's having on, um, uh, on the financial uh, services market. Are you seeing that this is causing an expansion of um, wealth management services that you have to offer? Or do you think that it's almost counterbalancing the impact that, you know, the COVID has had on the market? Um, you know, some say that uh, money that's being flooded, the market is being flooded with is going into savings and investments. Others are saying that the money is being moved into, um, you know, spending. Um, I think others are saying that money is being moved into, you know, this ESG space as far as enhancing investment opportunities. What are you seeing as far as the market shift with this transition of wealth. I mean, I think that that's what, even if you talk in terms of PPP, um, you know, how are you seeing the market move as a result of just a confluence of changes that are occurring right now? Yeah, I'm not seeing it as much affected here in the wealth management space. As far as investments, yes, um, no money, um, clients, are more um, confident of the market, uh, let's say. Um, there's expectation of movement, but they're more confident in coming in and investing. Um, as far as with COVID, um, I think everything that's been going on with COVID hit us last year. And that was the, 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 the big hit what happened already last year. Um, that was the huge and the biggest impact that we had. Yeah, and um, you're thinking, I, I mean, from what I'm hearing is we're all, your expectation and your client's expectation is that we're coming out with um, a strong economy. Yeah, definitely. Yeah and that the market has some strength. So uh, you mentioned early on about the uh, enhanced use of technology in marketing. I can't let us end our discussion without um, exploring uh, what you're seeing um, as far as use of artificial intelligence, whether it be in the space of robo-investing or um, in advertising or in lending? Um, what are you seeing, Elise? No, we're definitely using it here at the bank. Um, the only thing that what is costing us though is losing that subjectivity um, by using it because it is, it's falling more into a box. Um, that's what I'm being told. Um, since we have it, we're offering it, but the process is that we lose the objectivity, subjectivity, since, um, by using that product. 
And you think that that's just a trend with the relative newness of artificial intelligence as a part of the business model. Right. Is that right? I believe so. Yeah. That's my opinion. And um, before we uh, wrap it up, any predictions? Any, uh, any insight on how the new incoming administration, um, this new uh, trillion dollar package is going to affect uh, your business, our business, litigation? What are you seeing on the horizon? Well, I think definitely the, the minimum wage. If they bring up the minimum wage, that's gonna be great for women. Uh, that's gonna help us immensely um, because it's gonna help us um, obviously for especially to bring up the equality, uh, the equality and salary, um, I think, um, in my opinion. One of the things um, that I think we need to uh, do or that I would hope that the uh, Biden administration does is increasing the child credit. Um, that would help increase the, um, for single moms, that would be very helpful. And also uh, the education, if they lift the, um, the loans and, and work or do something with that, that would be very helpful as well. But that we don't know. Um, I know there's going to be a lot of legislation uh, placed or a lot of laws placed on banking uh, regulations. That's something that I see coming. Um, usually it does come with uh, Democrats. So that that's something that we expect coming down the pipeline. Um, legislation, I don't know. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Well, I can't thank you enough for taking time out of your extraordinarily busy schedule uh, to sit down and talk to us today. Um, it's been very informative, highly enlightening, and I think inspiring to not only Tanya and myself, but all of those other up and coming young women who need to know um, that there are the kinds of opportunities and career paths, much like the one that you've taken, um, along with, you know, the inspiration that comes from us making certain that the sisterhood stays strong and supporting and inspiring one another. So, Tanya, any closing thoughts? I just echo everything that Tracy said. I think this was such a timely um rich conversation and we're thrilled that you you know we're so generous with your time and appreciative for all of your insights thank you so much thank you both appreciate it thank you for your time please join tanya and i for our next podcast episode where we're thrilled and honored to be able to welcome a very special guest agnes bundy scallon agnes has had a full and illustrious career in the financial services industry, having previously served as a chief privacy officer for two national banks, uh, formerly serving as the regional director of supervision and examination for the CFPB. Uh, she has a wealth of experience in consumer financing and presently sitting on 
two financial, the board of directors of two financial institutions. Um, she will bring a wealth of information to our discussion where we'll focus on ESG, FinTech, and artificial intelligence and how they've impacted not only the financial services industry, but consumer financing, particularly the underbanked community, as well as people of color. So we strongly hope that you'll join us and we'll look forward to you listening in then. We'd like to thank our partners at Cypress Shaw for their support, the marketing team, and Xavier Dudas for helping us produce this podcast series. Thank you.